because uh, Lainey is a part of our family and our household and has uh, been integral in our lives. And it's a great joy to see the Lord bring you all here and uh, through them to continue to have a strong tie to this congregation. And we rejoice to see the Lord blessing you. And uh, we're thankful to be here among you and enjoy fellowship in Christ once again. Well, with that, I want to draw our attention simply to the end of Colossians chapter 1. And you can see from the bulletin that I'm really zeroing in on verses 28 and 29. But I'd like to read for us from verse 24 and down to the end of the chapter. This is the word of the living and true God. And let us receive it with humble submission and joyful hearts as we listen to the voice of Christ. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make known the word of God fully, the mystery hidden for all or for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And thus far, the reading of God's holy word this evening. Let us join our hearts once again in prayer. Blessed Father, we ask that you would send your spirit tonight to glorify your Son. And we ask that in your presence and by your power, we would all be taught by God. We pray that we would know that you are truly among us as the God who fulfills your promises. And we pray as we come face to face with you, the living and true God, that you would exalt your son, not only in our minds, but in our hearts. Subdue us to yourself, exalt the name of Christ alone, and lift up our hearts to heaven where the Savior is seated at your right hand. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's a good number of children here, and I'm always glad to see that. Children, what if I were to tell you that you could actually do the wrong thing while doing the right thing? Or you could do something wrong while you're doing something right? And let me give you an illustration. Let's say uh, you get up in the morning and you are dutifully reading your Bible and you're praying and suddenly you realize that your parents are upset about something. Because what happened was you actually got up at 11 o'clock in the morning and you were late for school, maybe you missed entirely, and you should have gotten up and read your Bible, you should have gotten up 
and done a lot of other things, gotten ready for the day, had your breakfast, cleaned up the kitchen, all these other things. But now you say, mom and dad, I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing a good thing. But are you doing the right thing at the right time? Now let me shift the illustration a little bit. Let's say you get up and you do everything you're supposed to do. You, you've gotten dressed, you've gotten cleaned up, you've had your breakfast, you've helped mom and dad clean the kitchen, you've started your school, but you haven't read your Bible. You haven't sought the Lord. You haven't prayed. You've done a lot of right things, but in a way, you missed the main right thing, didn't you? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And sometimes, not just children, but adults, we can seek all these other things, but are we really seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Why am I asking these questions and giving these kinds of scenarios to open a text that, as the title indicates, is really about the main point of preaching? Because... In the preaching of the word, it is possible we must preach him wisely, we must preach him universally, and we must preach him dependently. And if you're following, I really have one point, don't I? We must preach Christ. We must hear Christ. All the other things are just qualifications, aren't they? We need to preach him wisely. We need to preach him universally. We need to preach him dependently. And here is Paul's agenda for gospel preaching. So let's begin with the first part. Ministers of the gospel must preach Christ. And if I turn that at you again and bring us all in, we must long to hear about Christ, to hear from Christ, to focus on Christ in the Christian life. Notice what he says. He's giving something of a summary of his ministry in verse 28. And he says, him we proclaim. By the way, my, uh, my caveat here is I have a, uh, a New King James brain uh, trying to preach from the ESV. So if I keep lapsing with some of the words, you, you know what's going on. Uh, but him we preach or him we proclaim. What's going on in the text? Let me shift the illustration a little bit and I want to pull in not just what Paul's saying, but I want us to get into why is he saying this? What is he getting at? How is he thinking? How is he impelling us to this point, him we proclaim? Well, imagine that this room is a large ship and we just ran up against a rock and the ship's taking in water and pretty soon everyone in the room and everybody I'm looking at here is about to be in the water. And there are no lifeboats, there are no life vests. Let's just say there's one lifeboat and there's one man on it. And here are all these people. And what we need is we need to be saved and we need to get out of the water. And what we are getting at here, what I'm getting at here, is that in some ways, this is how Paul is, is treating the preaching of Christ. There is one rope thrown out to all the drowning people in the water. There's one thread going through the middle. There's not many lifelines going out. There is one single way and there is one single means by which all the people who are drowning can get out. 
And what he's really getting at is, as I'm preaching to lost and dying sinners, for that matter, as I'm preaching to Christian churches in Colossae, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, in Greenville, South Carolina, where I currently live, there is one driving message, there is one thing that impels us, and that is him we proclaim, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to come back to that rope analogy because it's, it's useful to pull through some of the other things Paul tells us here about preaching. But if we think about the big picture, what's actually going on? Maybe if I say, why is Paul stressing this point, it'll help us. What has he said in the context? He said a lot of things about Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the firstborn of all creation. Here is the one with the right to all things, God's heir, as it were, who is not only eternal God, but holy man. And he has basically gained preeminence over all creation, over all things. And as Paul describes him, it's as though he can't say enough about the Savior. The Savior, as it were, gushes forth from his heart, from his lips, in his praise. But there's something very interesting that happens right before this statement of of Paul summarizing the main aim and the goal of his preaching and all gospel preaching. This message about Jesus Christ is verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. Now children, what what does mystery mean? Maybe you think something is mysterious means I don't get it, I don't understand it, I can't explain it. But in the Bible, notice what Paul's actually doing. How does he understand mystery? It literally means something like this. This is something you couldn't know unless God told you. You could search high and low. You could look far and wide. You could search all the wisdom the world has to offer, read all the books in the library, and spend all your years searching in vain for this thing, this thing that Paul is fixated on, this thing that we could even say Paul is obsessed with. And that is what he says in a moment in in the next verse, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, what he's really saying is you can't make this stuff up. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest thing God has revealed. The person and work of Jesus Christ represents the most glorious thing God has ever done. And when he comes to this great statement, him we proclaim, it's as though he's making this assumption. Why would you want to talk about anything else? If God becoming man really is the most glorious thing God has done, and in Jesus Christ, as it were, the glory of God is radiating and put on display before us, should it not so occupy our hearts, our minds, our meditations, our speech, our praise, our attention, that we are obsessed with him, that we could hardly keep ourselves back And what am I getting at? You know, I said at the beginning, right, children, you could be doing uh, right things and still be wrong. Notice what Paul's getting at. What is the sum of gospel preaching? Him we proclaim. But what do we often say in our circles? And by the way, I'm not trying to be pedantic, insulting, to go after anybody, but I think this strikes at the heart of our hearts. What does it mean to be a gospel preacher? What drives us as Christians? And that's why this is important. What is our task? Well, to open the Bible and expound verse by verse 
make my application as I go through. That's a good thing, isn't it? We want to hear God's word. We want to hear it in context. We don't just want our favorite topics. We want God's topics. We want God's wisdom, and we want to listen to him. Or I'm going to preach sound doctrine. I can argue for election, for predestination. I can explain to you why we should baptize infants. I can even go one step further and I can argue with you about the fine points of the government of the church, all these other things. And you realize that in the preaching of the word, we can do all of those things and let's just say for the sake of argument, even be right and yet be wrong and yet be totally wrong. What good is it if you can explain all the fine points of First Chronicles and why all these names and genealogies are here if you don't know the right God in the right way yourself? What good is it if we can explain all the poetic language of the prophets and learn to do something with it in our lives, five things that are gonna make me a better wife, a better mother, a better husband, a better father, a better child, and yet, we don't have a context for any of those things. It's Jesus Christ that is the central mystery of God. It is Jesus Christ that represents the most glorious thing God has done. And this doesn't basically mean, here's my exposition, here's my application, and at the end, by the way, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, you need to. Think about it more like this. You are born in your sins. You are dead in sins if you are outside of Jesus Christ. Your situation is desperate. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, a sinless man. And in a sense, I could say, as Jesus was conceived in the born of the Spirit, you need that same Spirit. You need to be conceived. You need to be born of the Spirit. He didn't pass from sin to righteousness. You must. But it is the same Spirit who must dwell in you. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life because you don't and you can't and you won't. And he fulfilled all righteousness because you have none. Jesus Christ suffered throughout his life and bore the effects of the curse in everything he did so that if you are a Christian, whatever you suffer, whatever you endure, whatever you face in this life, it is not God's curse. God has removed it in Christ because he bore it. Jesus Christ died on the cross that you might not die under the wrath of God. Jesus Christ rose from the dead that you might be alive today and live in glory and be raised at the end. Jesus Christ has a place in heaven so that you might have a place there with him and where he is you may be. Jesus Christ intercedes for you in heaven. Jesus Christ sends the Spirit to furnish you with everything you need for life and godliness. Do you see what I mean? Whatever you're talking about, whatever you're getting into, whatever text you're preaching, whatever text you're reading, whatever you're hearing, where is Jesus Christ not relevant? Do we not have a whole Christ who saves us wholly in every possible respect? Him we proclaim. Is it him we want to hear? He is that common lifeline going down the, mo the middle. We all need the same Christ. Him we proclaim. But notice how he adds to this. Him we proclaim, 
warning every man, teaching every man that we may present every man perfect in Christ. I went back to my New King James mode there uh, because it says everyone here in, in the, uh, the ESV. And I'll come back to that. Let that threefold everyone, everyone, everyone just hang in the air for a moment. The first thing that I want to stress here is notice he says warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. So you've got warning, you've got teaching, you've got wisdom. And what I've latched onto here is we must preach Christ. We must want to hear Christ. But notice what he's saying. It's not just enough that I say the Lord Jesus Christ occupies my attention, is relevant to all my sermons, goes into every aspect of my preaching, but I must handle him wisely. I must preach him in a way that I preach him well. Or as uh, our, our larger catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism puts it, in a way that is suited to the necessities and the capacities of the hearers. In other words, what Paul's saying is, I know my Savior and I know my people. I know the one whom I proclaim and I know the people who hear. You know, I, I say this ironically as the guest preacher because uh, someone once said, sermons don't travel well. Preacher always preaches best to his own congregation uh, because they know each other. Um, I think you preach better to your own congregation. People hear better too uh, because you, you know each other's quirks. You're gracious to each other, hopefully, and kind to one another uh, and get more out of it on both directions. But what is Paul saying? There has to be wisdom. There has to be instruction. There has to be warning. Let's go back to my rope analogy. What is, what is he getting at? He's not saying... Here's the rope, here's Jesus Christ, here is the greatest thing God has ever done in his son, and the only means you can ever possibly come to him, take it or leave it. Have a nice day. And if people don't reach out and grab the rope, they're just dumb. We don't want to say that, that's rude. They're hard-hearted, the spirit hasn't changed them. The spirit hasn't done anything. And in the meantime, we, we just take this attitude sometimes where the only thing that's ever required is I open my Bible, I explain the verses, make some applications, say, trust in Jesus, I'm done. What is God doing in preaching? You know, what I'm really saying is what's the aim of preaching and what do the preachers need to do? But more fundamentally, more importantly, what the preacher's supposed to do is actually reflecting what God is doing. So what's God doing? as Jesus Christ and him crucified is set before you under the preaching of the word. God is instructing you. God is telling you what you need to know. He is revealing to you things through his word that you could never know unless he told you that word mystery once again. He is warning you. He is urging you. He is, as it were, pleading with you through those who are proclaiming Jesus Christ that you would grab the rope that you would come to the center. And notice Paul says in all wisdom, I don't have time to illustrate this adequately, but just read Paul's letters with this text in mind and say, what does this look like? He's able to deal with Corinthians who are foolish and ignorant and acting worldly. He's able to deal with people who are still struggling with sexual immorality and everything else that is going around in the, uh, in the culture. And they're still acting like pagans rather than like Christians. He's able to deal with people who are mature. He's able to deal with people with Jewish backgrounds for whom it's traumatic to sit at dinner with a Gentile and a non-Jew. And you see what he's getting at. You must preach the same Christ. You must throw out the same thread, the same rope, 
down the middle, and you must do this giving instruction, you must warn, and you must have wisdom. You've got to know your people. And that is what God is doing, actually. Think about it this way. Now, this is a, a duty laid on me and my brothers here as preachers, but us, uh, us as hearers as well. What, what are we looking for? What are we hearing God actually doing? Well, you know, I give my rope analogy, but the problem is this. You know, you've got the, all the people in the room sitting in the water. They're about to drown. There's the rope. And there's a man on the other end of the rope yelling to everybody, literally telling them, grab the rope or you're going to die. And you got the one person who basically says, I've got a tight grip. I'm holding on. And I'm waiting for you to pull me in. But then you've got the other person looking up and saying, I'm not sure you're strong enough to pull me in. I'm not sure you're going to make it. And maybe I'm better off just treading water or waiting for something else to come along, waiting for someone else. But then you got the other person who sees his friend over there and basically says, well, I don't want to go without him. And he's going to drown. He's going to die if I don't bring him over here. And in a sense, what is the preacher doing when he's teaching and imparting knowledge, warning, wisdom? He's trying to get all the hands on the rope and trying to pull everyone to the same place. But we're different people, aren't we? We're in different places. Perhaps some of you are, are struggling. I've grown up in a Christian home. I don't have a dramatic conversion. I don't have a dramatic experience. Am I really a Christian? Am I really in Jesus Christ? Or perhaps some of you are converted dramatically out of the world and you are certain, you are sure. Everything you believed, everything you did, everything you knew was vain and worthless and now... You agree, amen, this is the mystery of God. This is the most glorious thing. I'm confidently holding on to Jesus Christ. But maybe some of you are thinking, I've been holding a rope for a long time. And I'm sick. And I'm getting tired. Am I gonna let go? My dear friends, what is the Lord doing in the preaching of the word? Him we proclaim, him we preach. But warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we might present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. We can't, in other words, in preaching and hearing, just take this, this stoic, take it or leave it attitude. Here's Christ, here's the rope, here's the way. Let's just see what happens. Have a nice day. Do you hear the urgency? Do you hear the pleading? I want you to lay hold, and you as well, and you to continue, and you to keep going. And, and Paul's saying that this takes knowledge, this takes warning, this takes wisdom. You know, let me just say one thing here, because a lot of this, of course, would apply to what we need to think about in preaching, those of us who are preachers. Well, what about all of us? Well, let's just give a scenario. Let's say you come into church on Sunday and the preacher is seeking to proclaim Christ, depending on the power of the Spirit to do it, and he's putting his heart into it, and he's doing the best he can to preach as well as he can, to grow in his gifts, to grow in his graces, and, and seeking the Lord to do it. And then you come in, and you are saying, I want to hear the voice of Christ. I want to hear about him. I want to hear him. And I know God is reaching out to me through warning me, through instructing me, in wisdom reaching out to me. And I'm going to put everything I can into the hearing. What would our churches be like 
if hearers and pastors both had the same thread in mind, the same goal, the same path, what a glorious thing that would be in the Spirit's power in our hearts and lives. Well, we must preach Christ. We must preach Christ wisely. But thirdly, we must preach Christ inclusively. And notice that, uh, you know, I've given the, the rope analogy, but I also sort of have a funnel. We're narrowing down. We're getting more specific here. You've got the rope through. You're trying to persuade everyone to hold on. But notice the threefold repetition. Everyone. 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 The issue is not, for example, well, you know, I, I throw out the rope, everybody's drowning in the room, and if, if 10% of you grab it, then I'm happy. At least I got somebody. You know, if we're really in the water, we're really drowning, what are you going to do if you're in that situation? I don't want anyone in this room to die. I don't want to see anyone pass by their only way out, their only means of safety. And again, sometimes when we talk about our doctrines, when we talk about things like God chooses some, God passes by others, we become cold, unfeeling, and stoic. Well, God's going to save his elect. And if they come, he chose them. If he doesn't, you know, they're just not chosen. You know, that's, that's true, but I wonder, is that really the right use of that doctrine? The right use of it is really for you to look down uh, back to God's plan and purpose and kindness and saving your soul and say, praise the Lord, he had me in mind from eternity past. I cannot be lost. I'm safe in his grip. And all I can do is worship. That is your model for worship, not for evangelism. I mean, how does God plead with sinners? How does Christ? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is like the man who left the 99 sheep and went after the one. Oh, how Jesus wept over the hard hearts of the people in Jerusalem. For that matter, God himself says, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked that he should die? Do I not rather will that he should live? And he's not talking about eternal counsel and plans and that sort of thing, but he's saying, look, I've given you this gospel here Paul is proclaiming it, this great mystery. He's preaching Christ. He's doing it wisely. And the purpose of the gospel to going out is not to, to condemn you, but to save you. Will you not hear? Will you not listen? Will you not embrace God's compassionate call to you. Why is Paul saying he preaches Christ this way? You know, him we proclaim, warning every man, teaching every man that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Because he is reflecting the compassion and the mercy of God himself in sending his son to save sinners. Let us be careful in our preaching, in our evangelism, and all kinds of other situations we can face. No one's salvation hinges on us. Praise the Lord. And yet, do we want everyone to be found perfect in Christ? 
are we zealous to leave no one behind? I can give you a good illustration of this. Um, I'm always impressed when I come here uh, how, how in the bulletin, uh, your, your pastor, Pastor Matt, who's been here for a long time, uh, is very careful to give a clear outline and even key words. And it's very striking. You ever think about that, children? What's he actually doing? You know, you maybe take it for granted, open the bulletin and say, okay, there's the pastor's outline again. Here's the key words. But what's he doing? Warning everyone, teaching everyone that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, even you, even the youngest child. And you know, the secret is, it's not just for the children, is it? Everyone else likes these things. I know where, I have a roadmap. I know where I'm going. I know what to expect. But, but what's going on? Everyone, everyone, everyone. I don't want you to be left out. You must come in. You must embrace Christ. You must be pulled in. And I think in our Reformed churches, we need more of this. If I can dare put it this way, we need less contentment with the unbelieving and the hard-hearted simply walking out the door as they are. We need a sense of urgency. And what we really need is think about the thought process here. Christ is so great, I could hardly talk about anything else. And I want to reach people with as much wisdom as I possibly can to draw them in. And I'm not content for anyone to walk away and not see the shining, radiant glory of this Savior. I am so caught up with his glory, with his majesty, with his saving power, his sufficiency, that everyone, every man, every child, every woman, every older person, every younger person, everyone in between must hear him, must receive him, must believe him. You know, I'm, I'm explaining the text, I'm trying to preach the text, but I'm almost tempted to say, do you feel the text? Do you feel its weight pressing upon you? Are you picking up what Paul is actually getting at? The last thing is really almost more of a conclusion for Paul and for me. We must preach Christ. We must preach Christ wisely. We must preach Christ universally. Everyone, everyone, everyone. But also dependently. Now go back to my rope analogy one more time. You're in the water. You've been convinced I need to grab this rope or I'm going to drown or I'm going to die. There's a problem though. I'm looking at the end, of the, the end of the rope and I see the man pulling and that's my pastor. And I don't know if he can drag this many people into the boat. And he might not cut it. But, my, my analogy is going to fall apart here, but basically, what's going on? It's not just the pastor sitting there preaching and pulling the rope, proclaiming Christ, applying him to you, reaching out, trying to get everyone in. But it is the Holy Spirit that's pulling. This is why Paul says, how do I preach? How do I do this task? Laboring according to his working, which works in me mightily. In other words, through this fallible instrument, through all of the faults of my preaching and my personality and my personal life and whatever else it may be, there is an almighty power of God at work. And I labor according to his working that works in me mightily. And without it, all of my preaching would be vain. All of it would be worthless. All of this would be a waste of time. And you're right. You would drown in the water. I can't pull you in. But you see what Paul's really saying in some way? I can pull you in. I am pulling you in, and I will pull you in, because I'm laboring according to his working that works in me mightily. 
It's interesting, a lot of uh, pastors' ordinations as well, they'll point to 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about preaching the gospel. And he says, who is sufficient for these things? At the end of chapter 2. But we have those unfortunate uh, things called chapter headings in our Bible, and we don't keep reading. Our sufficiency is from God. So if you ask me, who would be sufficient to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ? Who would be sufficient to seek on God's behalf to draw sinners into the kingdom? There's no one. Only Christ himself. But our sufficiency is from God. We can do it. We will do it. We are doing it. Because ultimately, I know the Spirit's not direct in the text, but almost everywhere else Paul talks about this type of thing, like 1 Corinthians 2, the Spirit's prominent. He's working in Paul that Paul might work things out in his preaching. So what's the big picture that we get? Him we proclaim. Christ must be central in preaching, which also means, dear friends, must not Christ be central in our affections, in our hearts, in our prayers, in our lives, in our family worship, in everything we do. Preachers must proclaim him wisely, applying him to all of our necessities, all of our capacities. Do we really believe that Christ, the whole Christ, is sufficient for us? I've given you examples of different stages of life, different trials of life. That's what I mean. Do we doubt his sufficiency for every area, every stage, every doctrine. Perhaps we, because we can say so little about him and the scope of his glory. But also when you come into these doors, whether you're preaching, whether you're hearing, are you looking for an almighty power of God? to work through the preacher, to work through the hearer, to work through the word. Isn't that exactly what Paul leaves you with? We can do lots and lots of good things, but without these things, all other good things become bad things. Let it be Christ that is central to all. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for blessing us richly with your word. We pray that you would apply it afresh to our hearts, and we pray you would occupy our attention, our thoughts, our minds, our affections with the glory of our Savior. We thank you for our brother Tim, and we thank you for calling him to this task. We pray that you would bless him and our brother Matt and the other men from the Presbytery, and we ask, Lord, that you would continue to exalt your Son in their hearts and all of our hearts, and that you would answer with the presence and power of your Spirit we would all labor in preaching and hearing according to your working, which works in us all mightily. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to take a moment to meditate.